Welcome to the Push Performance Podcast. What's up, guys? Welcome to episode 11. Uh, Push Performance Podcast, sponsored by nobody. We have no sponsors, so you guys don't need to listen to that bullshit spiel like every other podcast. <laughs> I know y'all hate it and fast forward through. I do. Yes. We, you know, honestly, we do this, do this because we like talking to each other for the most part. Uh, <laughs> speak for yourself, dude. <laughs> and we just want to, you know, educate you guys, and you know, and uh, we learn a lot too while we do this. So I know Taylor learns a lot on the nutrition aspect of things. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> learned a lot this weekend. Yeah, learned a lot. Yeah, Ashton's like, I'm gonna blast Taylor. Taylor and Noah drank like 10, 10 cokes in Utah. It was a wild amount. We were on vacation. It wasn't vacation, but yeah, I mean that was. I mean, when DJ is paying, you got to take a fly. They're free refills, dude. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's the point. They just kept coming. Yeah, I'll give you all the free refills you want. Like, <laughs> bottomless coats. <laughs> I do not condone drinking soda at all. But anyways, um, today, let's move on. Uh, today, we're going to talk a little bit about, continue what we're talking about with our assessment processes. Now, we're going to bring it to the sport application side of pitching. Um, so biggest thing for us is like we mentioned a thousand times is working with the, our pitching staff, Noah and Simon, um, you know, why our athletes are moving the way they do, why they're good at what they do, um, why they throw the way they do, why their pitch characters, characteristics are what they are. Um, so Noah, what do you, what do you, what do you look at mainly on, on your pitching assessment? I know it's quick. Then we'll get some track man data, you know, some video, all that kind of stuff. What are your kind of three, four key components? Uh, yeah, so like you said, our our pitching assessment is pretty quick. Uh, we typically take the athlete through, you know, a little warm-up J-band series, wrist weight series. Um, uh, kind of just let them move freely, uh, see how they move without any, any cueing or anything like that. It's kind of the whole point of the – of the assessment process is to see how the body naturally moves when throwing baseball. So uh, we do put a couple constraints on them. So after we get done with our reverse throws, pivot picks, we go uh, into the gun, just do, you know, feet, uh, feet together, pretty close together, uh, just a torso throw, kind of look at upper half mechanics, um, some arm spiral stuff and, see how well they use their upper half. Um, from there, we go into do about five, six throws, take some video, um, regular speed, slow-mo, for all of these drills, actually. Um, after that, we go to a step back, um, kind of a lower half load, unload, um, see if we can load that backside and then get out of that rotationally um, without just pushing up out of our out of our backside load. Um, take a bunch of video again, and then we do a shuffle throw um, just to kind of see, add some linear momentum, see if you can actually stop and transfer force up the chain. Um, basically some deceleration of the lower half, getting transferring force up into the upper half. Um, Usually uh, athletes are, you know, deficient somewhere. So we can pick that out and then also see what they're really good at and be able to kind of feed into what they're good at and then also fix what they're, what they're bad at, all while keeping, uh, keeping the strength assessment in mind too. Awesome. Um, looking on the, the, you mentioned upper, upper half mechanics. You know, what are your kind of, what are you looking at like the, with the upper body, I know like a lot of there's a lot of misconception of what you know hip shoulder separation is or whatever it may be. Like maybe explain that a little bit and what you're looking at. Yeah, so um, by taking the lower half out of it, um, you're kind of just looking at whether the upper half can produce force on its own without help from the lower half. Obviously, like everything starts from the ground up, um, but. If you can't, if you don't have an efficient upper half, it doesn't really matter how much force you put up the chain. It's just not going to transfer. Um, so that's why that's another reason that we throw into the gun. Um, kind of use that as a guide 
as to, you know, whether an upper half is efficient or not. It just kind of gives us that objective feedback um, on the assessment. And then at the end, if if someone is built up enough, we will get them on the mound, um, get them on track, man, kind of write down all their all their characteristics, set some goals on the pitch design side too. Nice, awesome. Yeah, I mean, when, when you're looking at a, like the movement holistically of the athlete, are you looking at like how well the, the pelvis and the thorax are stacked? Are you looking at like where, what's your main key point? Like where are you looking at on that aspect? Where do you see the main downfalls with guys? Where do you see where do you what's the most consistent deficiency you see on the mound? Say for a left-handed pitcher or a right-handed pitcher, or whatever maybe. I know everything we do is customized, but yeah, what's, what's um, the most consistent that you see? I guess just like sticking with the upper half stuff. It's like you said that thorax being stacked on top of the pelvis. Um, a lot of guys, when you put them in that first uh, that first assessment, that torso throw, uh, they want to, you know, get into a lot of that lumbar extension um, stuff, and that just doesn't allow them to stay stacked on top of their pelvis, right? So kind of fixing that, a lot of posture stuff. Um Obviously, you guys see it on your side, too, that a lot of guys come in with, um, you know, different patterns and just based on how they live their life, how they sit every day and, you know, compensations from throwing a baseball for the last 12, 20 years. Yeah. So, I mean, so you're you're seeing a lot of like lumbar extension issues. That's mm-hmm. like the main the main. Yeah. Thing. In the upper half, probably. Yeah. yeah. And then obviously a lot of arm action stuff, just like being on plane. Um, shoulders and arm being on plane. Well, I mean, if the rib cage is, if this goes back, ties back to everything we do, right? Mm-hmm. This is a conversation we had yesterday. If the rib cage or thorax is altered at all, the scap's going to be altered. It's yep. not going to sit properly yep. on that in that position. Yep. And therefore, we're not going to get optimal kinematics of like the humerus and the scap and all that stuff working together to proper scap or humeral rhythm. And we're going to miss a lot of, let's say, I don't know, arm side up because of a lower arm slot or yeah. whatever it may be, right? Or yeah. Cutting the ball. Yeah, that's why I didn't start with the scat because I think I think it starts at a at a deeper place. You know, hundred percent. I mean, it's your body is dictated by the way you move and breathe every day, mm-hmm. and that's transferred to the weight room, to the mound, to the batter's box, to you know, to the basketball court, to yeah. whatever, whatever whatever sport you're playing, essentially, right? So, um, you know, what is what are you looking at with the foot? Like, are you looking at you see a lot of guys? pronate a lot more than they than they supinate like they can they can't stand their backside because they pronate too much um i think just like maintaining the three points of contact you know uh heel ball your foot outside ball your foot inside um having a stable foot like during leg lift and then on the other side being able to roll all the way through that foot once it hits down on the mound so you have proper supination like the er and then uh in the middle IR and then back to ER with pronation. So um, just kind of getting through that whole movement, producing force through the whole foot instead of, you know, favoring pronation or favoring supination, like being stable on that leg lift on your, uh, like on the mound. So, yeah. so with that, so generally you'll see you guys, like you have like two different guys. A lot of guys will be like very flush on the rubber, their whole foot's in front of the rubber. Then you have the guys that are half of the foot or on the rubber. Hooked, yeah. When would you would you ever put a guy halfway on the rubber that's flush with the rubber, or is that just kind of more of a feel thing for them? That's kind of a – it's a feel thing for them, but, um, like, that's also a conversation that I would have with you guys. Um, you know, maybe maybe to, to get a little more IR or something, you want to you wanna hook the rubber and, and start them in a more – like, start them in IR to be able to get them there. Yeah. Um, but – yeah, I, I definitely never want to take something away that's super comfortable that, you know, might might not have – like maybe it'll make them a little bit better, but is it worth sacrificing comfort, which, you know, maybe like decreases some confidence, affects command, stuff like that. Well, we also have a lot of good feedback, right? So yeah. we make an adjustment in the mound. Every pitch is monitored through TrackMan or the gun, right? Yeah. So – and video. Yeah. You know what I mean? So – Whoa. What the fuck? Yeah, I don't know what that was. Sorry, power, power went out or something. Um, God, it rains one time. Know, right? Cloudy. There's clouds, guys. We got clouds. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Um, I hope it rains. But, you know, it's uh, 
it's nice to have that feedback because we know what we're altering and why we're altering it, you know? And if we change something and their pitch characteristic or their velo shoots down in a negative way, it's like, all right, well, that didn't work. Yeah. You know, like what, what we do in the weight room is like we always intervene with guys and say, all right, let's retest what we're doing. Let's see if the exercise got you in a better position, right? You know, we'll get them on the table and test, test the range of the motion. If it didn't work, let's say, like, all right, well, let's, let's bang that and try something different. You know, we're not, we don't always have the correct answer right off the bat, you know? Um, yeah, I think it's a lot more like, um, like range of motion, you know, like that's obviously important, but like I think a lot of the more important stuff that you guys do in the weight room is like fixing postural stuff, like where they have like the right or left AIC and um, kind of getting that. I feel like that's what holds a lot of athletes back from like their true potential on the mound is just like genetic stuff like that where they've been moving, like haven't been moving well their whole lives and it just is kind of ingrained in them. So you see that in their everyday life and just trying to kind of get them out of that. Yeah, I mean, we have a we have a guy that's been hurt for years. I mean, he throws hard left-handed pitcher, you know, and he came to us like six, seven months ago. Um, and you can see like he his shoulder hurts all the time. It's just because his, his whole th- his left-handed pitcher, his whole thorax is rotated to the right, so he can't get any kind of scap retraction. He can't get anything right. And his pelvis is tugging the other direction, pulling the other direction rotating to the left so it's like working a lot against each other right it's literally the opposite of hip shoulder separation exactly, exactly <laughs> right he's getting hip shoulder separation in the opposite way yeah <laughs> you know um but you know when you see those things like you can see why he does what he does and why he's injured you know um so i think that's the biggest thing is taking like taking those small postural uh, you know, fixes and applying it to what we're doing is key. But, you know, Brandon, talk about like, again, like when are we going to change something? When are we not going to change something on the mound? You know, being an ex-pitcher, you, know, you have a lot more feel for that. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think it, like, honestly, it goes kind of back to what Noah just said previously about the kind of the comfort thing yeah. also. Um, if a guy, you know, isn't showing, um, you know, like any symptoms of pain or arm soreness or, um, anything like along lines of health, then that's one thing to where, you know, you maybe don't need to make drastic changes because obviously if there's um, no pain and, you know, everything's, you know, the guy's recovering well and healing well, um, then sometimes it might not be a mechanical thing, but then uh, sometimes like if, you know, the guy does have obvious symptoms of, you know, he's always having constant forearm, you know, soreness or constant anterior shoulder soreness, you know, spots where a guy's not supposed to really be sore post-throwing. Um, those are usually sometimes sometimes red flags for whether a guy has maybe some mechanical flaws or it could be some movement pattern issues then at that point. And then that's when you can get in there and maybe digest it a little bit. Um, and like you said, do some tests, get them on the table, um, check, see what the scap's doing. Um, are they getting true upward rotation? Um, are they stuck down in depression? Um, is the scap stuck to the spine? Is it wrapped around the spine? Um, you know, just basically, like, yeah, where are they starting from then at that point? Because, um, yeah, if they're constantly having, you know, issues post-throwing, then, yeah, there's probably something going on, and that's usually a red, red flag to get in there and uh, maybe start making some adjustments. But then at that point, too, you want to, you know, I'd probably start small, um, especially with more of the, the elite guys, because they're going to be a little bit more in tune with their bodies. Uh, so sometimes with them, less is more. Um, and then sometimes then, you know, maybe your, your middle-aged athlete or some of your younger guys, um, then sometimes they're probably going to have maybe a little bit more room for drastic changes. Um, you know, like if the guy just has, you know, if it's a young kid and he's just got an arm just kind of just whipping around, then you can probably get in there um, and do a little bit more with it just because he's got a lot more room for improvement. Uh, I think it just kind of depends on the individual athlete, where they're at currently. You know, are they in pain? Are they not in pain? Um, so I think there's a lot of factors that kind of go into it. But, yeah, I think it's, you know, one thing, too, it's the old saying, if it's not broke, don't fix it yeah, type thing. Um, so it's kind of cliche, but at the same time, you know, if the guy's throwing 96, 98 pain free and he's got really good stuff on, on metrics, then it's just like, all right, you know, what can we do to this for sure? Keep maintaining this. Cause obviously, like we said, we don't want to take anything away. That's going to make them worse. So again, like you said, if you make an adjustment, the guy throws a pitch and now he's sitting 94, you know, 93, it's like, okay, that, that was probably not the right change. Maybe, you know, or, you know, maybe you sit with it for just a couple days and then, you know, maybe it does click and that guy's 98, 99. You never know. Um, so it's just 
some of those things too, like, you know, the guy's a little bit uncomfortable with the changes. It could maybe hinder the results initially. Um, and then at the same time, if the guy gets comfortable with the changes, it could be a positive result. Um, so I think it's just knowing the athlete, knowing your time frame, um, just a lot of just different things that kind of go into it. hundred percent. I mean, at what point do we, do a uh, conversation with yesterday, Noah, are we, are we as an entire staff going to train into his deficiencies if he's having success or are we going to train out of his deficiencies if he's having success? So, right. Let's talk about the guy, you know, he, he needs left hip. Um, he needs his left hip to go back over his pelvis, right? Okay. Are we, or sorry, sorry, femur. If we're, are we going to train him into that position more if he's having success and not injured, or are we going to take it away from him? Right? I don't know. This is, like, something that I'm really on the fence about, but I think that the more, like, if he's really successful, I think, like, reinforcing what he's already really good at is even more important when he's having success. Because, I mean, if he's throwing 95, he's never hurt, like, shit looks good on the track, man. Like, what, you know, what are we trying to do? Obviously, we're, we we would like to get a couple more ticks, but is it, wor- is, it, is it worth it to, to possibly take a few steps back by, you know, improving left hip IR or, you know, whatever the fuck? We see on the assessment yeah and i think a lot of it is timeline too like where are you at as the guy middle of season rolling well to where it's like all right i don't want to i don't want to mess anything up in the middle of the season when this guy is just doing really really well so i think it's like you have initial baseline testing of like all right where do we need to stay and maintain to keep you feeling the way you're feeling right now and kind of go week by week with the testing and like all right hey if we fall outside of these numbers then we might know like all right we need to get you back to this spot here um, so I think it kind of just goes down with timeline too. Like, are you middle of off season where, you know, you have time to kind of tinker with things maybe, and, you know, not have to show up in two days and actually perform and, you know, have a lot actually kind of riding on the outing or, you know, are you just working on something in the bullpen middle of the off season and you have time to have stuff develop? For sure. I mean, um, on the assessment process, we're always telling somebody what they're shitty at, unfortunately. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's not saying like, you have this, and this is making you good. I think we do we do do that for sure, but you see majority of people doing assessments. It's more so like you're shitty at X. Let's bad at this, bad at this. Bad yeah, at this. exactly. Like, oh, we need to get you to do. You need you need more of this, more of that, more of this. But it's just like, do we like? Do we truly need that? Yeah. Yeah, maybe. You know? that, I mean, that's obviously something that we can all improve on. Having that like honest conversation and. Um, they came to us for information, right? Right. Right. We're going to give them information on what they're good at as well as what they're shit at. Right. Yeah. So we got to realize like as, as a strength staff, are we going to take away what makes them good in their actual sport? And I, I mean that, did we have to dive more into deep in the depth of this? I think because what we talked about a couple weeks ago and a week before that, a couple weeks before that, it's just like, yeah, don't take away what works, but like, let's talk more about that, right? Like, is it is it more beneficiary to train the deficiency, right? To give them more, you know, thoracic rotation to decide that they're good at. That's just a simple example, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, or take it away and decrease their range of motion. That's a that's the hard part, and it's not. That's why it's nice too to like have guys come in with their assessment and throw with Noah as well. And that's kind of the difference between like a lot of the younger guys and the older guys too. Cause a lot of like the younger guys, what you see in their assessment shows up on the mound as well. Versus the pro guys are, have been doing it forever. They've been doing it for a long time and they've been doing it well for a long time. And those guys are going to be able to compensate a lot better. So it's like, okay, I have in my mind, this is how you're going to throw. And then they throw it and you're like, well, shit. All right. Well, that was really, really good. So <laughs> that's kind of like where it's like, okay, like, he can't get into like, like supine IR, but then he gets on the mound. He has a fantastic weak leg block, and so it's like, all right, well, you do really, really good at that. So it's like maybe we don't need to just go after this. Maybe we just challenge strength in that position, challenge, challenge stability in that position, and then challenge power in that position as well, and then just call it good there. And then if something like comes up during the off season or something like that, and then you kind of maneuver there as well. But the same thing, like Brandon said, if it if it ain't broke. Don't fix it. And it's a lot easier, too, with, like, the pro guys that come in. And that goes along with their goals, too. Like, you have the guys come in. It's like, 
double A guy, triple A guy, big league guy. They're in a very good position in the organization. And then you have the younger guys are like, yeah, like I'm throwing 90, 91, and this is like my last shot. So you're able to risk the biscuit a little bit more. It's like, all right, we got to make this drastic change with you to get your below to jump to get you in these positions versus the guys that are secure. They're very comfortable in their orb. They have great numbers. Those guys like, all right, like we can kind of look at the finer details a little bit more and kind of really go off your goals and figure out what you need to do to kind of take that one next step up. Yeah, I think it's buying going into their body awareness as it is, right? Mm-hmm. Can they breathe into positions that they're good at? And then can they breathe into positions they're bad at, right? Breathing into positions shows that they own that position, right? They dominate that position. So can Noah stop him at any point in the in the in the throwing motion and can they dominate each position? Right. If they can't dominate the position, maybe we intervene with it. But going off that, it's like if you're going to see the same deficiency in the weight room, you know, we load them up just a little bit, right? Maybe have them do a suitcase step up, um, you know, to increase some some kind of hip extension or whatever. But like they have really good hip extension on the mount already, so we're just losing. Are we just going into lumbar extension at that point? You know, it's sort of certain things like what are like when are we when are we knowing that they that they're owning these positions essentially, you know, and that's kind of the hard part of it, right? And knowing why we're changing, why we're doing what we're doing, and um, I think uh, knowing what we're looking for first and foremost, like you know, can can the pelvis rotate? Can it can it anterior posterior tilt? You know, what kind of ankle range of motion are we looking at? Why is the ankle range of motion dog shit? You know, when we say stack the thorax over the pelvis, it means that everything's kind of neutral. You know, like talk about like toe, knee, hip, shoulder, all in line, right? Here, essentially. Okay. Um, that's kind of a stacked thorax, right? That, in that position there. Um, you know, just not allowing the athlete to essentially start behind the eight ball, but if he already is behind the eight ball, like, in the, in the throwing pattern and just allow him to buy into that pattern um, a little bit more. I mean, this is something that I struggle with every single day programming. It's like, dude, you, I mean, the majority of my guys are elite dudes. You know what I mean? And it's like, how much do we take away? But somebody like we had uh, a 10 year veteran in this, this off season and he had decreased performance in the last, over the last two years. And we had to overhaul him, you know, and we had to know why we're taking away, his movements that he was doing and he was bought in on it right, right now. Yep. So, um, I think, I think we need to get a little bit more into characteristics and patterns of guys with, you know, we talk about narrow and wide ISAs all the time. Um, what characteristics, Brandon, do you see with a wide ISA on the mound? Um, usually those guys don't rotate as well. Um, obviously, if you just think about it, if it's a, a wide object, it's going to have a, a wider circumference when they rotate down the mount. Um, and then usually with those guys, too, kind of depending on how far along the line of compensations they are, um, if it's just a basic basic level one wide ISA, they're going to probably have a little bit of restriction in ER um, at the hip and the shoulder. So depending on how stiff they are, um, through the like just neurologically they you know may have good layback they might not have any layback um just depending on um just that individual but yeah usually you're going to see just um kind of a slow turner um slow rotator and then usually just a lack of er at the hips and the shoulders for the most so, part so with why the wide isa they're they're posteriorly compressed yes right mm-hmm. how does that posterior compression in the thorax posterior thorax compression going to alter the scap so with that posterior compression, it's usually probably most likely going to pin the scaps to the, the, the spine. Um, and then with that, that basically means they're either already heavily in scap retraction. Um, so with that, basically, it's, you can't get somewhere where you're already at. So guys are usually already preloaded into scap um, retraction. So um, they're not going to be able to get out of it very well. Um, so those are the guys that, like I said, you know, they're going to be a slow rotator. So then their arms usually probably going to be late as they come around. Probably lose balls, um, arm side most likely, and then um, those guys probably usually are going to be guys that probably cut the ball maybe a little bit more, um, just because they're going to be. Um, or actually, no, they'll probably be probably a little bit more heavily pronated, um, just because they don't have the ER. Um, so yeah, they're going to be actually probably heavy pronators, 
um, and having a tough time getting on the side of the ball. So that obviously plays into pitch characteristics of, you know, the type of fastball you throw, the type of off speed, you, you know, you throw. Um, yeah, typically like a, that'll be like a, you know, maybe a sinker changeup guy. Mm -hmm. Which we see. Yeah, our characteristics like, of guys. Yeah, like, uh, I guess we aren't supposed to say, say like, like Webby. Yeah. Like he's a, he's one of our wides that. Yeah. Um, he's very wide. Yeah, sinker changeup guy, really good at pronation. Um, We've done a lot of really good work to improve supination and kind of add um, add that slider this offseason. What what are the injury characteristics you see with a wide ISA? Ooh, those guys, um, probably I would say anterior, like lower forearm or like kind of like um, meat of the forearm, um, possibly probably front of the shoulder, uh, just because they're not getting that scat to upperly rotate. So they're probably doing a lot of deceleration with just the arm. Um, and not necessarily like the lat and the big muscles back there. Um, and then you see like obliques often with them. Um, not so much. I would say probably not so much with them because they're um, already kind of slow rotating. Yeah, I would say so the other I would, say I would say it's probably more the, the narrow fast rotators. Have, yeah, so. fast rotators that have trouble decelerating. Um, before, so yeah. before we get too much into this, let's talk about. We talk about ISA a lot. We haven't really even talked about it. What is the infrasternal angle, right? Mm -hmm. It's the angle of what the rib cage is at, just below, just below like where your false ribs are, right? Mm -hmm. So we're we're measuring that as neutral. Everybody sees it as ninety degrees to one hundred and ten degrees, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I think we've come up to it's like around we say at like hundred degrees, right? Yeah. As a staff at Push. So if you're greater than 100, you're, you're wide ISA, infrasternal angle. If you're less than 100, you're narrow ISA. So that's kind of just an explanation of, for the listeners, what, what we're looking at with that and why it's important. Um, so now, narrows on the flip side, right, have the anterior compression, okay? Elite rotators, can't stop rotating, produce a lot of force, right? Okay, so... Um, give us no. Give us some examples of what you see a narrow. We see, I think we see more narrow pitchers than we do wide pitchers. Yeah, really. a, lot more, a lot more narrows coming. Yeah. Right. Um, Noah, talk about what you see the narrows that are good at and the narrows that are poor at. Ah, uh, so like you guys said, the narrows are going to be really great at rotation, and they're kind of the more, uh, I guess, like springy type of athletes. Um, so they're going to move a lot faster, um, really rely on, like, pelvis uh, rotation speeds and then deceleration speeds as well to shoot that energy back up the chain once, they're, once their foot hits the ground. Um, and then same thing uh, with the torso. They're going to rely on torso um, rotation velocity and then how quick that they can slam on the brakes um, using that oblique swing. That's why you guys say that the narrows would be more um, more prone to oblique issues because um, maybe those the they just aren't strengthened enough um, and they are rotating at such you know high speeds that um, they got to be stronger uh, to decelerate that and then shoot that energy into the arm thus into the ball. Uh, I mean, for example, take a narrow like I talked to you yesterday. Take a narrow like a, for visualization. Take like a soto camp, right? shake it up and then squeeze it and then think about like the force that's going to be produced out. That's what a narrow, narrow stacked person is going to look like, right? Wider is going to kind of just have more gases, liquids all over the place, right? Versus compressed. That's yeah. I don't know. I think that like wides rely a lot more on strength and then uh, narrows rely more on speed, I guess. Is, is the way I would put it. With the with the guys that you've worked with, have you seen a difference between with like the narrow and wide and like arm path? Like a longer arm path, shorter arm path versus like those guys, or is it a little bit more just based on the athlete himself? Um, I've honestly I've started to look into that. I think I had a conversation with one of you guys about it. I can't remember, but probably all of us. Um <laughs> like saying that I was gonna start looking into it and like maybe like nailing down like writing down some data and seeing if there was like a correlation or or something, but um, as of now, I, I mean, I don't have any conclusive results or anything. I just haven't looked deep enough into it, to be honest. What, what were you saying before I interrupted you? Sorry. 
fuck out. Yeah, narrow ISA, they're good at rotation, wide, um, relies more on strength, narrows more on speed. That's so, the last thing I said. So Taylor, how are you going to train a wide ISA in a weight room to be more productive on the mound? So we'll do a lot more stuff to kind of compress the lateral side of the ribcage um, because they're sitting really, really wide. Um, we'd probably spend a lot more time on their back, as you talked about, like the fluids and the gases before. So we'll send, uh, I'll do a lot. Talk, talk a little bit about that first. Yeah. So before you confuse these people, you've already talked about it before, but for the first time listeners. Um, so generally when you're on your back or um, whether you're narrow or wide, I say wherever you're compressed at. Um, so say I'm a narrow ISA and I'm do something in a prone position. A lot of the fluids and gases that are in your body will um, flow to that front side, so wherever you're saying, which will help expand that front side even more, or backside vice versa, whether you're whether you're wider or narrow. Um, Just take gravity for example. Yeah, gravity is the biggest thing, right? Good word. If you want to, if you want to get a narrow, a little bit more wider, get them in a quadruped position, right? To drive those gases, fluids forward, right? And then vice versa for the whites. Yeah, right? lay them lay on their back in a hook line position or whatever it may be. So. Uh, yeah, so with the wide guys, um, I would do a lot more um, like lateral compression stuff, so more especially like with their core work and, and their A block sideline, um, do a lot more um, like Copenhagen planks, um, side planks, um, sideline like kettlebell screwdrivers, just stuff like that to get them on their side to help laterally compress. Um, and then also I would do a lot more rotation stuff, so with the um, so like with their rows and presses. Um, adding like a, a rotation component into those. So maybe like an opposite arm reach. Um, and then also like if they're doing a split squat percent for um, example, doing a um, goblet with rotation or something like that. Um, and then same thing with their plyo wall work, making sure that their plyo wall work has rotation into it. So rather than doing, um, because they're already really, really good at just producing force because they're strong, I would do probably a little bit more momentum stuff with them in their, in their med ball shot puts and their scoop toss. So in like a hot, like a double hop to a med ball shot, but getting them off the mound and getting that momentum, getting that momentum going, just because they're so good at, they're not so much great at creating momentum and going from there, but from like a standstill, they're really, really good at producing power from a standstill. So getting them moving, getting them dynamic and rotation. Absolutely, Brandon. What are you gonna do with a wide, with the wide eyes? Yeah. So he he he's kind of talking about what we talked about yesterday, where you can transfer transfer forces from the beginning, the middle, and the end, right? So that was a narrow. Narrows usually, narrows usually can produce better force. Widers absorb better force. Oh, right. yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Right? Um, so he's talking about like, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah you're right. So um, no one's looking at what the fuck are you talking about? No, no. Were, were, you, were you talking about I'm a little what? But yes, I know. Okay, yes. yes, yes okay, thank God. Fuck, dude. Yes. Yeah, no, I know. No, are you confusing yourself here? I thought he said I narrow. Got, I, got, I thought he said I narrow. You were talking about wide. I asked about a wide eye okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. My, my good example then. was a narrow. Yes, that's why I was yeah, like. No, I, I intervened with it and I said, if you're narrow, get on quadruped. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, I, I'm there. not I'm trying there. to confuse anybody here. Ready. Um, <laughs> on a wide eye, say, posterior compression, what are you kind of your go tos to drive expansion in that backside? Um, yeah, first, like Taylor said, uh, putting them on their back is usually a good thing because um, usually uh, usually the reason why they're there in the first place is just because that's their body telling them that they can't handle gravity to begin with. Um, so that's basically one way to do it is to attack it initially is just put them on their back, get their feet up in the air, um, and take gravity out of the equation to an extent while using it also to your benefit. Um, so basically laying them on their back just drives a lot of compression to the front of the ribcage and that's where they're already expanded. So that's basically going to help you there. And then that gravity is also then going to continue to drive basically all the fluids, the gases and everything posteriorly into the back of the ribcage. And that's where you want the expansion. Um, and then also, uh, putting them on their side, depending on, you know, are they a position player or are they even a pitcher, just depending on what they are. Uh, putting them on one side or the other um, equally or more than the, more on one side than the other, depending on what side possibly needs more expansion and compression um, because you don't want to, because obviously if you lay them on their side, you're still going to get expansion on the downside. Um, so you're also going to get compression on the, obviously the side that's up. 
So that's also something you want to maybe take into consideration also, because if they are, you know, if they're super expanded on one side and then maybe a little bit more compressed on the other, then maybe you don't need to spend as much time compressing the one side if they're already kind of possibly compressed there. And that's where you see a guy can get into his back hip better than his front hip, and then mm -hmm. that's kind of where that leads into Exactly. So, so in the weight room now, how are we loading? How are we loading these guys? Like, what are we doing to, to load these guys, right? So do you want a wider compressed person on their back, right, to bench press? That's going to do more harm than good, even though, they're on, yeah. they're, even though they're in a supine position, their gases and liquids are going mm -hmm. down towards the floor, but now we're adding load to it. And that's and that's yeah, and that's a that's a that's a really good example and a good point because yeah, when you when you do load it uh, heavily on the anterior side just because they're on their back, um, them pressing the weight away from them or up is going to drive them into the ground, and that's only just then going to compress them posteriorly as well. So then you're actually not getting that expansion that you're looking for. So like an inverted row is a better option. Yeah. Than a barbell bench press. Yeah, an inverted row would be a really good option, um, or just yeah, something kind of uh, supine like that would yeah. be uh, a really good option for somebody that's wide. Um, and then the way I like to load them too is with kind of the kettlebell front rack position, um, compress the anterior side, and that'll give you a little bit more expansion on the posterior side. Um, and that also moves the scaps a little bit away from the spine. And then you know you can also go ipsilateral. Uh, contralateral with that as well, you know, just loading it one side. Um, and that again, just goes kind of my first point of, you know, what side may be a little bit more expanded than the other. Um, and your initial assessment will kind of tell you that too, um, what side might be a little bit more compressed. And then also, you know, like Taylor just said a little bit ago, watching the guy throw on the mounds, um, you know, like you said, you might have a guy that on the table does one thing, but then as soon as he throws, he's kind of doing the opposite. So that shows you like, okay, he actually does do well getting in and out of those positions. So then, okay, maybe he's actually compensating here and not actually where you thought he was maybe compensating at on the table. Uh, so that's just kind of putting, you know, multiple pieces of data and um, all of your resources together. For sure. And at some point, like, we still need to load these guys, mm -hmm. right? We're not, we're not just maneuvering around the weight room. You know, we're still going to get these dudes strong, even though they are strong, mm -hmm. right? They're going to be better at a, think about like a refrigerator. They're going to be like wide huge guys that more like a power lifter type, like really good at deadlifting. Um, you know, narrows are better at squatting, right? There's a start right verse versa. Damn it, Noah. <laughs> um, narrows are better at deadlifting, uh, wide are better at squatting, right? So you take a wide and put them into a deadlift position with their already overly hyperactive at lats, what's gonna happen? Right. Go straight though. Exactly. That's what I was trying to get with that. <laughs> um, confusing episode today. Mm -hmm. um, Noah, what 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 do you what are you gonna do with the wide now after what we just talked about in a throwing progression? With, with uh, are we gonna try change anything? Are we gonna? Um, yeah, that's kind of like obviously it's individual yeah. uh, specific, but um, kind of like what Taylor was just saying. Like it's, it's the same thing on the mound. Like you want to give them a little bit of momentum. Um, as well as like still try to feed into what they're good at too. Um, so I'll have, you know, maybe a drill that, that gives them some momentum, like a drop step or, or something like that to kind of get them moving fast, like teach them how to move a little faster. Um, so and then a, instead of like a, um, walking windup, maybe do like a shuffle throw instead. No, you're still like a walking windup. Like you're still getting or a step back. You're still getting that momentum, like from from that walk in. So I, I like a walking windup. How about a step back throw? Um, step back, maybe, uh, just to like reinforce the rotation aspect of everything. Um, but a lot of those guys, I really just want to get them moving fast, like teach, like trick their brain into moving faster. Okay. Yeah, we, me and Noah had a couple conversations the last couple days. We've been talking about the core velocity belt a little bit too, but like taking med ball work. And like, okay, what is this guy doing for his plyo ball work? And then how can I kind of just feed his med ball work into that? So like for a couple guys that have trouble like getting going, like rather than them, like their plyo balls being like the first thing they do to try to do faster in the day, I'll run them through some plyometrics, some med ball stuff to try to get them going before they get on the mound. That way when they get on the mound, they can, they have like what they need already and they can work on, they, they can work on like getting going down the mound will be a lot easier for them rather than that being like the first plyometric explosive thing they've done all day.
So kind of feeding like the like the med ball work into like what they're already doing and make sure making sure they're not counterbalancing each other, but make sure we're all going in one direction with both of those. I mean, too many times we've heard now is just like, don't rotate, don't rotate, don't rotate, don't rotate. It's like they rotate enough, but in term, in actual terms, it's like we're rotating all the time, so we need to train that, right? We still need to do some bracing stuff. We still need to do that. But like, first and foremost, we need to really need to realize what is bracing us, and that's our diaphragm, right? The diaphragm is the first thing that braces all core movements, right? Whether that be in rotation, right? Diaphragm's gonna kick on first. Whether that be just a basic bracing pattern with a pallet press, the diaphragm kicks on first, right? So that's why this kind of stuff is so important, right? But I think we also need to train that rotation component, especially with a wider ISA. Okay, now we'll talk about a narrow ISA. Okay. Um, Brandon, are you gonna are you gonna have them since they're better at deadlifts, are you gonna load them up on a squat? Or how are you gonna how are you gonna take how are you gonna take a, a, this approach? Um, I'm not gonna take deadlifts away from them because obviously like what we said earlier, um, if they do hinging well then obviously we want to keep that. Um, especially that should be, that should be the focus, of especially if they're a pitcher and a baseball player or a hitter. Um, obviously, we talk about hinging all the time, whether we're on the mound or whether we're hitting. Um, so obviously, if they're narrow, then that's something that they're that plays right into their favor. So obviously, you're going to keep that in the program. Um, like we said, we don't want to like just focus completely on all the stuff they do bad. So that's one thing we know well that they're going to do well. So we're going to obviously focus on that, really make sure that just stays good, only maybe gets a little bit better. Um, but then I probably am not going to just load them up heavy and throw a barbell on their back, but I am going to start then diving into how can we get these guys to squat better. So what um, position, what squat variation are you going to start with? So just depending on um, their initial assessment, you know, how much extension are we working with? Um, where is their pelvis kind of sitting? You know, what's their initial orientation? Are they, are they severely anterior tilted? Um, are they posteriorly tilted? Are they pretty neutral? Um, but if this is say a guy's, you know, fairly neutral, um, you know, I'll probably just start them in basically just a basic split squat variation, um, and then see how they kind of move there, how they handle that. And then, um, kind of watching them squat initially then with that, then maybe we have to elevate their front foot, um, or maybe we have to just maybe elevate the heels, maybe just the toes. Um, there's a few different things we can do for the individual. Um, but basically all we're looking for is just, can we get the thorax to stack over the pelvis? Um, and then are we going to get the, the mutation, the counter mutation as they go down in the squat? Um, and then are they getting the internal to external, the internal rotation at the hips? Um, but yeah, this is basically how well can they maintain their position as they go down in the squat? And then can they maintain it as they come out of the squat? Um, and then also watching the person's gait cycle, basically watching them walk. Um, that's going to tell you a lot too. Um, but yeah, you're basically, you're, yeah, you're going to, you're still going to try and get them to squat, but you're, you're going to, how much time are we going to spend on trying to get them to do a better squat? So I, I have a guy that had, that came to us for UCL surgery, dog shit squat, terrible hinges right off the bat, right? I mean, it's, you can tell, right? How much time and investment do I need to take into that program and get them to squat, get him to squat better? Uh, I think it's individual based. Um, I think, you know, how so he's injured, right? Yeah. He was injured. So like what? Yeah. So, I mean, I think there's obviously some underlying issues there that need to be to looked at. Um, you know, obviously he's got some pelvic issues going on and he's not sequencing correctly. Um, so I would say you, you do need to spend a little bit of time, you know, on it because that right there is, like I said earlier in the podcast, if a guy has injuries or symptoms of pain post throwing. Um, there's probably something going on, whether it's mechanical and the mechanics of pitching, or it's just within their own body, you know, biomechanically. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, spending some good time initially, at least, you know, getting the, the sacrum to mutate and counter mutate, um, and get the, the pelvis and the, the ilium, the hip bones to actually, you know, go through in, external rotation, internal rotation, adduction, extension, all of that good stuff that the more the guy can move his pelvis and control it, he's only going to be better. Yep. Um, so like we said, we don't want to just completely focus on, you know, one end of the spectrum. Like, you know, like if we want to be good at hinging, we don't want to be just good at hinging. You know, if we can squat well too, then be good at both, be good at both. Yeah. Um, it's only going to make you a better athlete. Yeah. I mean, if you're wide or narrow, both, you need to have that pelvis move. Right? Yeah. You need to have that thorax move. Every time you inhale and exhale, your, your, your ribs internally and externally rotate. Right. So the more, the ability we're able to get them to expand, compress, or internal and externally rotate, 
then we're gonna have a better better success, right? So going off that note, the narrow guys on the mound, what are you what are you trying to work on? Because they're gonna over they're gonna over rotate sometimes, right? Yeah, a lot of deceleration type stuff. Um, that's where I was gonna chime in earlier, but uh, I didn't want to interrupt. So like on your guys' side, that's where like I think the the opposite side, like med ball scoop toss or uh, you know the the catching D cells uh, are really important with the narrows just to med ball catches. Yeah, just to strengthen the the decelerators on that opposite side. Um, like I said, we're still going to give them rotation just to, just to reinforce what they're good at. But, um, also while, while kind of focusing on, on decelerating as well, that's kind of the big focus with narrows I'd say is, uh, the deceleration aspect. Taylor, what's kind of your favorite go-to with a narrow ISA loading pattern? Like how are we going to get them? get a little bit more expanded if they need it if we find out they need it what, you, what positions are you going to put them in what exercises are you going to give them well i would do a lot more um like you said narrow is going to be better at narrow is going to be better at deadlifting why do we better at squatting correct yes yep. so i do a lot more um a lot more split squat stuff um, I'm kind of like a row or a, oh, like a yeah, yeah. I would do like a, like a bird dog row, um, single arm dumbbell row, something like that. But then you can also play with like sit like where their scat positions at as well and kind of play around with the tempo. So whether you want to have them spend more time, like a protracted, um, scapular position or a retracted scat position, kind of depending on what they also need to be better at. Um, so I've kind of been playing with tempo, um, in that order as well. Um, but doing a lot more like single arm dumbbell rows, bird dog rows, um kind of more in like a prone position and kind of just playing around um kind of with those progressions and regressions um as you go as well so this is an easy question brandon because it's gonna be complete opposite what i already asked you where are the scaps sitting now with the narrow um <laughs> if it's just a basic narrow then they're probably going to be a little bit more um abducted a little bit further away from the spine um just because like you said that the wires are instead a little bit closer to the, the spine so these ones are going to be a little bit more abducted and pulled away um and then sometimes you usually see they could maybe even be a little bit internally rotated or winged um is the term you'll probably hear um you're a little bit more familiar with um and then um yeah sometimes you might see uh maybe some elevated scaps also um if the guy's uh pelvis is rotated a little bit to the right and the thorax is rotated back to the left um, you're going to have a little bit, maybe a left elevated trap, um, and that scap might also resemble that as well and be a little bit elevated on that side. And then that will present maybe, like I put in quotations, a depressed right scap because um, people blame the lat for it, but it's probably not necessarily the lat. It's probably just due to compression in the, the rib cage. Or the pelvis. Um, yeah, or yeah, exactly. The pelvis is just rotated, so the thorax is just trying to recenter itself so that way you don't walk crooked. Um, but yeah, it's just. You know, there's a few different things that go into it, but yeah, most likely if it's a narrow ISA, the, the scaps are going to sit a little bit more wider or expanded on the back of the, the ribcage. So Noah, going on your end now, what is a narrow ISA going to be? What are his pitch characters going to be like? Uh, he's probably going to have a nasty slider, um, nasty uh, curveball as well, like really good at supinating, might cut the ball a little bit. Um, but... Obviously, like uh, getting getting with you guys and kind of fixing some of that stuff to see, like it's basically based on what we think is important, right? So, um, throwing hard obviously is like number one on our list. Um, so, who throws harder, wide or narrow? It depends, <laughs> right? We see we definitely see more narrow. We see more narrow pitchers than we do right. Um, we also see more narrow left-handed pitchers than we do right than we do. Uh, wide left-handed yeah. pitchers, yeah. like Higgy might be like our only wide, wider yeah. ISA. He throws buzz, so yeah, he's you know, 95, you know, 97 anomaly. But yeah, um, yeah, good. I mean, obviously both both can uh, both can throw hard. It's just uh, about leveraging what you're good at, right? Yeah, I mean, this is something we talk about a lot, but this is not the way we only program things. No, we yeah. definitely crush the weight room, right? We definitely crush you know movement patterns and that stuff but like this is an important role in our assessment process this is the topic of today is the last couple of weeks is, has been assessments right so why is this important to us why is how are we going to buy into this but at some point 
yeah, we still are going to have a wide deadlift, right? We're still going to do it. I like guess. But now, what do we do? It's what we do after that. Or before. Or before that. Or both. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? So, like, can we prepare him a wider ISA or wider presentation to deadlifts? Okay, we prepared him to deadlifts. Now, let's complement that, right? Post, post lift, so like superset, right? Um, you know, what, what's, what are we going to do for X, Y, Z? Same thing on the mount, right, Noah? Um, you know, you, you can still try and teach a wide and narrows characteristics. Yeah. Right? But we got to know why he's good at what he's good at. And you yeah. got to, like, know if that's even going to help him or hurt Exactly. Him. And there's only one way to find out. Yeah. You know? Yeah. To, to see what the track fan says or... And, yeah, and, like, you, you, you live and you learn, right? Like, yeah. I feel like, you know, these last six months that I've been here, I've obviously learned a ton. And uh, a lot of it is, like, a trial and error. 100%. 100%. Anybody got anything else, Taylor? Nope. Eric, you talked a lot today. Good job. Yeah, I did a lot of learning today. <laughs> Brandon, you got anything else? Uh, I think, you know, the last thing, too, is just ultimately what the athlete feels while they're doing it. You know, you can see what you want to see, like, with your eyes, but they're the ones that ultimately feel it. 100%. Um, and if they're telling you they're feeling it in a certain spot, then, you know, you have to trust them and listen to yeah, them, you know, to that extent. You know? Nobody like, knows the athlete's body better than themselves. Yeah. We're giving them recommendations, yeah. right? We see we see this, but how do you feel is the most important thing. Yeah, and that's and that's ultimately what you got to kind of remember as a coach. You know, you can assess and have everything in mind that you think, but at the same time, like they're going to tell you what they feel, and that's where you have to then also then make your yeah. judgment call and plans too. So, you know, like just because you do a table assessment and you feel something, doesn't mean they necessarily feel it when they're pitching or when they're moving or in the weight room. So. Um, you yeah. just have to what they feel. I mean, there's a proprioception piece to all this, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, with everything. Uh, I think increasing proprioception can only only help as far as, like, pelvis, thorax. 100%. I mean, if, and if you guys listening are curious about what presentations you have, what your strengths and weaknesses are, feel free to reach out to us, and we're able to help you out with that. So, if you guys have anything else? I got one thing for Taylor. What's up? Back to the stuff that you were saying about, like, getting them to move faster before they... Uh, do like their plyos and stuff like that. Yeah. So if you would you almost kind of make their B block kind of a moving faster B block and then do that and then have those guys do that first and yeah. then the other guys wouldn't do it first. Like yeah, if the guy needs to move faster and uh, produce more like power and force and speed on the mound, then that's something that I've done with a couple guys. I move their B block to like I'll do their A block and then I'll do their B block as kind of like a pre throw. I'd do their B block pre throw and then just kind of like you see how it works, you see if they like it. I did it with one kid last week and he was like, dude, I love this. Like, I feel great. Like, I'm ready to go once I step on the mound and all that stuff. So it's kind of there where you're like, see whether they like it or not. If they love it, great. If it helps them, great. And you keep it in there and then just kind of go from there. And it's like going off with fire. That's a great idea. Going off what Noah was saying earlier, it's like proprioception is key. Mm -hmm. I mean, dominating the positions you're in is key. Right, owning those positions is key, like I mentioned before. You know, I say this all the time, Taylor, when we're out at, at events, like you guys take 20,000 shitty breaths a day, more than likely, right? And you're going more into your compensatory patterns. You know, how are we going to sit for your hour of breathing in here? That's with controlling the breath with every pitch, every movement, every exercise prescribed. You know what I mean? So, yeah, and there's a lot, there's a lot more into this. This could be a very long podcast, yeah. but um, yeah, that's, I think that's good for the day. If you guys have any questions, reach out to us. Thank you.